was a great job, girls. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Thank you, Brother Mike, for cleaning up the microphones. That's a blessing as well. Thank you for coming today. If you're sitting next to somebody that's uglier than you, raise your hand. Okay, that's what I thought. If you're sitting next to somebody that's more beautiful than you, raise your hand. Aw, same hands went up. That's kind of strange. I, uh, I want to apologize. Uh, you know, last night I came in, I was jet lagged. I didn't know who I was, if I was, where I was, all that. And so I didn't introduce my family to you. My, uh, my wife, Wanda, and I have been married for 30 years. Uh, Wanda is from Puerto Rico. Uh, she, did not, uh, she did not understand English when we first met. Matter of fact, that's how we got married. I asked the question, she didn't understand it, okay? And then it was too late. And so guys, if you're having trouble, okay, in your dating life, date somebody whose language you do not understand, okay? And that will, that will help you. Uh, so, but we've been married for 30 years. We have four children. Uh, my oldest son, uh, Nathaniel, uh, is living in Pensacola, Florida uh, with his wife, Charity. And they have uh, two, two sons and one on the way. Uh, so, uh, and he is a financial planner in Pensacola. My second son, uh, Joshua, is a student pastor. Uh, and he and his wife, Rachel, have been married for about two years. Uh, my third son, Caleb, uh, works with us. He is a, uh, works with our youth. He's the athletic director at our school. And then my daughter, Hannah, is our, tw- is our well, she'll be 22 this year. Um, and then we have a dog, Flora. We've never named any of our dogs. We, get, we, we inherit dogs that already have names. How many of you have a dog? Okay, wow, praise the Lord. I want you to give yourself a pat on the back because that's a really, really good thing. Okay, how many have a cat? Okay, why? Okay, that's what I say, why? Cats are just, I cannot understand cats. Dogs go to heaven, cats, dogs go to heaven. Okay, just so you know. Uh, at our church, we have a rule. You're allowed to put a do- your dog on the prayer sheet. Okay, you're not allowed to put your cat on the prayer sheet. That's just the way that works. Um, we have had a dog named Luke. So if you're named Luke today, I'm sorry. That was our dog's name. We had a dog named Leo. We had a dog named Lucky. We inherited that dog too. We had a dog named Claire. <laughs> we had, now we have a dog named Flora. Uh, and so those are our dogs. We do have two cats that visit our house every now and then, but I've not been able to kill, uh, uh, pet them yet. So... Um, that's it. How many, have a, and how many have a pet other than a dog or a cat? Okay? Other than a dog or a cat. Okay? Shout at me. What is it? Fish are not pets. Fish are food. No, no. Fish are friends, not food. But um, what else? Anyone have a gerbil? Really? It's a rat. How many have a hamster? It's a rat. Okay? How many have a snake? You're a rat. Okay? <laughs> I mean, a snake, why would you have a snake? Why wouldn't I? Because we, I mean, I don't know. I, just, I hate snakes. How many hate snakes? Be honest. What's a good snake, eh? Dead snake, thank you. How many hate spiders? What, 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 if, what if biologists could take a snake and a spider and make them like one creature? <laughs> wouldn't that be great? And put it in your sleeping bag. Hmm. Hey, I want to know something about you. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to do this last night because this really helps me understand your youth group because really essentially every youth group is the same. I mean, you have different faces, different, you're from different states, but every youth group is essentially that you have all the same people, 
Okay, for instance, I'll, I'll prove it right now. Uh, in your youth group, now I know that you're not sitting with your youth group, but you kind of know where people are, okay? So in your youth group, I want you to point at the kid who is the most annoying. Would you point at him real, real quickly? Okay. All right, right there. Good. Good. Okay, good. All right, good, good. All right, good. That's good. Now I know. I, I already knew because you're around those people for 24 hours and you know, but I wanted you to ver verify that to me, okay? So number two, I want you to show me the kid. And now it's almost always, like 99.9% .9 of the time, it's a girl, okay? But I want you to show me the kid in your youth group. Now, her hair is not always blonde, but you know the one I'm talking about, okay? The spacey girl, where is that girl? Where's that girl? Is it? All right, right back here. All right, look up here. And, and the funny thing is, when you point at that girl, it's always the same. She's always like. Why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> because you're that girl, okay? That's the girl that when a joke is told, everyone laughs about like six seconds later, she goes. <laughs> it's like time released. Am I right? Yeah. All right. And then uh, there's always this kid in the youth group. It's typically a guy, but not always a guy. Um, this is the kid in the youth group that I call the intellectual geek. Okay, who is that kid? Okay, just know something about everything. Okay, where's that kid? Where is he? Right here. Okay. All right, look up here. Okay, if you're, having if you're having trouble identifying who that kid is, okay, that's the kid that when you're doing normal things on the way to camp, like sleeping or eating or beating up the annoying kid, okay? When you're, when you're doing normal things, the, the intellectual geek, that's the kid that's looking out the window giving you random facts about everything. He's like, yeah, back in 1870, shut up! We don't care, we're not in school. You know, that's that kid. Okay, and then girls, I need, you, I need you to really help me on this. Now guys, you are allowed to vote, but your vote does not count, okay? <laughs> girls, your vote counts. Matter of fact, I'm gonna let your vote count double. Who is the kid in your youth group? You know who it is. The kid in your youth group, the guy who thinks that he's all that, but he's not, okay? <laughs> who is that kid? Well, all right, stop, 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 stop. Please stand. <laughs> this is the guy right here. Now listen, I would make fun of him, but he would kill me. All right, you may be seated. Sounds good. That was good. I like that. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Kings. First king said, you are a big guy, man. Put my arm around him, it's like, it's like holding Mount Everest. Wow. First Kings chapter 22. What a great group. You guys are a great group. You sang well. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, you res you, you're responding well. You've been listening to the, the choir did a great job. The, the ensemble, all of it. It was wonderful. And, and you all appreciated it. I, I watched the way you responded. And that, that's really, really good. So I appreciate you having a good spirit, uh, being here at camp. And there's some, there is something special about camp. 
Uh, I, I've said this, and I, I, I'm part of camps, youth conferences, um, all the time. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe this. I believe that one camp is worth five youth conferences. Now, I love youth conference. I think good things happen at youth conference. But I believe that one camp is worth five youth conferences. And here's the reason. Because you really do get away. You really do get alone. You really do get apart. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's longer. It's, it's, a, it's a week long. And it really gives the Lord an opportunity to break down your heart, break down your, just your thinking, reorient you to, to biblical things. It's really, really a good thing. And I totally agree with what Brother Mike said. And that is, you can take camp back home with you, okay? Now, not literally, don't steal the bunk, okay? But uh, you, you can take that whole spirit. You know, why, you know why you do well at camp? Because someone tells you, hey, you gotta read the Bible right now. You gotta spend time with the Lord. You, you gotta hear somebody preach, okay? You can't do this, you can't do that. Not in a punitive way, not in a legalistic way, but in a, I mean, I'm just telling you guys, it's not rocket science, you can take the same kind of schedule. I know it won't be the exact same, but you really can perpetuate what God's doing in your heart beyond this week, if you'll do it, if you'll do it. And one of the greatest decisions you'll make this week is a decision about your daily schedule. Honestly, one of the greatest, we like to make big decisions. Like we might, we like to make the decision about, you know, I'm going to be a missionary to China, you know, when I, you know, graduate from college one day. And that's great. Listen, we need missionaries in China. But a, a lot of times what we do is we'll make the big decision and it almost in a way exempts us. or We feel like it exempts us from making the decisions that matter today. And one of the greatest decisions you could make is just decisions that affect your life today. See, it doesn't impress me that a young man will say, I'm called to preach if he goes home and disrespects his mother. It, it doesn't impress me if you know, somebody says, you know, I'm called to the mission field if they go home and they can't clean their room. Because Christianity is daily. And I'll just say this, Christianity is now. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow. We'll go into such and such a city. We'll continue there a year. We'll buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So what you know to do, what you know to do, get busy doing it. The greatest lie of the devil is that you can serve God tomorrow. That's the greatest lie. You can serve God tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I plan to, I plan to. And you die one day planning to serve God. Don't plan to, serve him. And make that your decision today. Well, that was a pretty good message. All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're done. No, we're not, okay? First Kings chapter 22. Open your Bible. I, uh, uh, sometime during a camp week, uh, like to preach a message, and I like to use this passage. I, I've, I've used many other passages, but this is one of my favorites. Uh, just on the, the, the need for us to be willing to stand for God alone. If you don't get to the place in your life where you're willing to stand for God alone, you will never be a consistent Christian. Now, it's wonderful to stand for God among hundreds of others. 
And I think that that's one of the great reasons why you ought to be faithful to your local church because you go to a place where other people are loving the God that you love and serving the God that you serve and encouraging you to do the same. That's wonderful. But I'm not naive enough to think that you're not gonna be in positions in your life when you're all by yourself, okay? How many of you, for instance, have a job? How many of you, you're 16, you have a job, okay? Okay, or 15, or, or 17, or 18. Okay, I'm sorry, that was a bad question. How many have a job where you work at a secular place? Okay, like a McDonald's, or a Chick-fil-A, or a, you know, an In-N-Out burger, or really that few, huh? Okay, well, let me just tell you something. Uh, in just a few short years, you'll be where these few are. You'll be in a place where you will be the vast minority. See, in most cases, in our Christian subculture, we're never in a minority. Uh, we're never really in a minority in our school, in our church, in our Christian school, in our church. But I'll tell you something, one day you're gonna be the minority, you're gonna be the Daniel, and you're gonna have to figure out how to stand for Jesus Christ. I do not know of a better example in all the Bible. Now think about it. I know a lot of, I know a lot of examples, Joseph, Daniel, I know a lot of examples. But other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I do not know of a better example in the Bible of somebody standing for God all by himself than the example I'm gonna show you today. I don't know of a better one. Now, there might be others that I would say, man, they're right there equal, but I don't know of a better example other than Jesus himself of somebody who stood all by himself for the, for, for the Lord, okay? Look at it, First Kings chapter 22, and I want you to look at verse eight. 1 Kings chapter number 22, and I want you to look at verse eight. Well, the Bible says, and the king of Israel, now stop for a moment, his name is Ahab. What's his name? Okay, good guy or bad guy? Okay, good. So the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, interesting uh, etymology on the word Jehoshaphat, it actually used to mean Jehosh is skinny, but then he ate too, uh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, Jehoshaphat, now Jehoshaphat, good guy or bad guy? He's a good guy, okay? Jehoshaphat's a good guy. Jehoshaphat, good guy or bad guy? Good guy, okay? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that. The Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He, didn't, he wasn't perfect, okay? He made some really bad decisions. And honestly, this chapter is one of those bad decisions, okay? But aren't you glad that God does not assess your life on just one bad decision? Aren't you glad that God could see the big picture sometimes that people can't even see? And so uh, Ahab, bad guy, Jehoshaphat, good guy, but you have a good guy hanging out with a bad guy. That's bad. Hey, Ahab, bad guy, Jehoshaphat, good guy, but you have a good guy hanging out with a bad guy. That's bad. You know why? Because you show me the people that you hang out with today and I will show you the decisions you make tomorrow. Did you just hear that? You show me the people you hang out with today and I will show you the decisions you make tomorrow because evil communications corrupt good manners. The Apostle Paul taught us that, evil communication, even in doctrine. There were people in, in Corinth that were hanging out with the wrong people and even their doctrine, even their doctrine changed. Why? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. Uh, when good people hang out with bad people, you get two bad people. Uh, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now that companion might be a wise guy when he starts hanging out with fools, but before long, he'll become a fool too. So you better be careful who your friends are, guard your friendships. I'll say a huge decision you can make at camp if you're wanting to walk with God is to choose a friend group that also wants to walk with God. 
I'm just telling you, that's what, well, I'm gonna change them. No, 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 no. I'm not saying don't be friendly. I'm just saying that your close companions, the people with whom you spend your close time and the people that you let down your hair with ought to be people that love the God that you love. And so Jehoshaphat is hanging out with Ahab and that's a really, really bad decision. Watch what happens here in verse eight. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man. Now I'm gonna explain the story to you in a moment. But what what Ahab is saying is, yeah, there is one guy that's not like every other guy. There's one man that's not like every other man. There is one person that I know. Now listen, he's he's an ungodly man, Ahab. And yet even an ungodly man knew who the man was that took a stand. And when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, I'm gonna tell you something, people will know it not because you're obnoxious, not because you're saying, look at me, just because it's so unusual in a dark world. If this room were completely dark and I lit one candle, you'd know exactly where that candle was. And you're in a dark world. If your light is lit for the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, people will know exactly who you are. I wanna talk this morning on that, or this, this after, this after. Tonight, I'm still, man, I'm still in Australia. Uh, I want to talk tonight about that subject. Uh, will you be the one? Our Father, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. I'm grateful for your love and I'm grateful for these teens. I'm grateful for these camp staff and I'm grateful for these counselors and sponsors. Lord, all of us have a great need tonight and our great need is to hear from you. We want to acknowledge right now, corporately, that you're right here with us. We want to acknowledge tonight that we believe your promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And so we delight in your presence tonight and we acknowledge it. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would hover over each one of us and I pray that you would do a work on the inside of us. And oh God, tonight I pray that you would use this message from your word to make a holy impact in the lives of every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us this opportunity. Bless us tonight as we listen to your infallible holy word. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I think we make a mistake. And when I say we, I mean those of us that work among young people. I've been working with young people now for over 30 years, and I enjoy it. I love it. I love working with teenagers. And in many, in, many, in many respects, and I mean this, I believe that teenagers are some of the best Christians I know. Some of the best Christians I have ever met in my life are teenagers who are on fire for God, wholly devoted. I do know this, that almost every revival that has ever uh, swept across a nation has been instigated by young people, almost every one. God moving in the hearts of young people. And that might be the case in your local church where a band of young people could go back, 16 of you, eight of you, 30 of you could go back to your local church and and band together and decide that we're gonna live for God in a new and fresh way. And we're gonna love God and serve God and pray and hold each other accountable. Who knows, but, but that God couldn't sweep a revival through your church, through you. I believe that. I believe that can happen. I believe, I believe it still does happen. I believe God could use you to make that happen. I do believe that. But I must say this, as one that has worked with young people for many years, I I, I do wanna issue you an apology. 
and I mean this, this is heartfelt. On behalf of other youth workers, I want to issue you an apology. Here's my apology. I'm sorry that there have been times in my preaching and there have been times in my counseling of you that I, that I have, and not, I don't think on purpose, but I've done it, where I have misrepresented what serving God is. I've misrepresented it. Sometimes I, I've represented serving God like, hey, come on, you gotta serve God, it's great. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, you'll never have more fun and joy. I mean, there's joy in serving Jesus. And all that's true. But I think sometimes if, if I haven't been careful, I think sometimes I've, I've almost only presented that, man, if you serve God, you're never gonna have problems. And that's just not the case. Humanly speaking, serving God might be the most difficult thing you'll ever do. Humanly speaking, a serving God might be the most unpopular thing you'll ever do. And so I, 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 wanna, I just wanna tell you right now what my invitation will be. Okay, so at the end of the message, I'm gonna ask you to make a decision because I believe the Bible calls for decisions. I do believe that. I don't think the Bible's there primarily just to, to, to give us more information, but it's information upon which we, we must act. So I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna ask you to make a decision at the end of the message. But before I get to the place where I ask you to make a decision, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you shouldn't. I'm gonna give you three, I just wanna be honest. I wanna present both sides of it, okay? So tonight, I'm gonna give you three reasons why maybe you shouldn't serve God. Now, please understand, I want you to serve God, okay? But I don't wanna be dishonest. I don't wanna be disingenuous. So I wanna tell you, if you decide to stand up for Jesus Christ, if you do, then these three things will be true in your life. We're using Micaiah, he's the man here, in uh, 1 Kings 22 and verse eight, we'll learn his name here in a moment, okay? Uh, we're gonna use him as our example. But I want you to know that if you decide to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, these three things will be true in your life. I can promise you that, okay? So you have your Bible open, keep your Bible open. We wanna work right down through this passage. It's the word of God that changes lives. And notice, please, if you would, verse one. 1 Kings chapter 22, and notice please verse one. Well, the Bible says, and they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. Okay, look up here, guys. We learned this this morning. Syria is up here. Here's Israel. Here's Judah. What's up here? My hand. That's right, okay. But it's representing what? Syria. And down here is what? No, that's Israel, okay? But it's my hand representing Israel, okay? So Syria and Israel are border countries and they can't get along, okay? Israel is supposed to be following God, but for the years of the divided kingdom, they've not been following God, not at all. Matter of fact, every king has been bad. Here's Ahab, he's bad. The Bible says Amri, his dad, was the worst king they had ever had, and then Ahab was worse than him. I mean, this is bad. these are bad days. For the first time ever, they've imported false religion into Israel. They've imported Baal worship. That's under Ahab's watch. I mean, things are bad. And even though uh, that has already been fought, the battle with Baal, and, and Ahab has gotten over that, he's still not following God. So here's Ahab, here's Syria, they're border countries, and I'll tell you what, they're always fighting. Now, for three years, they've not been fighting. 
okay? But uh, Syria has a city out here called Ramoth in Gilead. Gilead's over here. Here's Israel. Here's Syria. Well, Gilead comes along the side. So if I'm in Gilead, I've got a great angle to come in and attack Israel. I mean, the last place if I'm in Israel, I want people to be is in Gilead. Because if they're in Gilead, they can attack me from the, from the top and from the side. That's really, really bad. And so uh, Ahab, he's nervous. Even though they've not been fighting, he's nervous because he knows that uh, Syria is over here in Ramoth Gilead. He wants that city. He's not dumb. He might be unspiritual, but he's not dumb. Look at verse one again. So they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year. Okay, so in other words, something's about to happen. It's been three years of peace, but man, things are uh, unrestful. And the Bible says in verse two, and it came to pass in the third year, that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Remember, guys? Uh, he's in Jerusalem. He came down, even though it's coming up geographically, he's coming down elevationally. Jerusalem's up high. He comes down. Anytime you left Jerusalem, you came down. He came down to meet Ahab. So now Jehoshaphat, good guy, is hanging out with Ahab, bad guy, in the capital of Israel, a place called Samaria. Look at verse 3. And the Bible says, and the king of Israel said unto his servants, all the people that are citizens of his own country, he said, know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours and we be still and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. Okay, what, what, what was uh, Ahab saying here? He, he was speaking in the language of a competitor. Okay, for instance, uh, if you're on a basketball team or you're on a volleyball team, and you see another, I know you had a tournament today. You're watching other teams play. You see another team, maybe you're sitting on the sidelines saying, we, we got them. We could take them. They're ours. We got it. We're good enough. That's what Ahab is saying. Ahab is saying, there's Ramoth and Gilead. There's that city, but it's ours. Man, we could take that city. What in the world are we sitting here for? I mean, that's an important city. It's a strategic city. We need to get that city. It's ours. And guess what? All the people of his nation, they don't say a word. The servants of Ahab, they don't argue with him. He's the leader. He's the boss. He wants to go. Hey, their job is just to do what he says. Look at verse four. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, will thou go with me to battle? Oh, so he's not as confident as he thought he was. In verse three, man, it's ours. We got it. No problem. Verse four, I need help. So wilt thou go with me to Ramoth in Gilead? Uh, uh, yes, to battle to Ramoth Gilead. And Jehoshaphat said, now don't miss it, verse four. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. Okay, that's just a fancy way of saying I'm in. That's just a fancy way of saying, hey, whatever I have, Ahab, is at your disposal. You wanna go? Hey, let's go. Hey, you can have my horses, you can have my chariots, you can have my men, you can have my might. Hey, we're gonna go, I'm with you. Now, let me ask you a question. Was that a good decision or a bad decision? It was a bad decision. Now, I don't know yet what God's will is on it in the passage, okay? But one thing I do know is we should never make decisions without consulting God, okay? We should never make a big decision in our life. Now, how many would understand that sending your army to a battle where people are gonna die is a big decision? It's a huge decision, okay? So Jehoshaphat should have said, well, let, let me pray about it. Or let me seek counsel about it. Let me find out what God's word says about it. But no, that's not what Jehoshaphat did. He just said, now I'm in. 
And sometimes, guys, if you don't have some preset decisions in your life, sometimes if you're not careful in the moment, you'll make a bad decision. So you need to preset your decisions, okay? Because girls, some, some guy's gonna uh, make a move on you. You're gonna know right now what you're gonna do. Somebody's gonna ask you to do something sinful. You need to preset in your mind right now what your answer is gonna be. You need to get some presets in your life. But Jehoshaphat obviously did not have a preset. And so when uh, Ahab said, are you in? Jehoshaphat, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. All my stuff, let's go. Sure thing. But you know what? Jehoshaphat was nervous about it. And Jehoshaphat really didn't know if he made a good decision and I'll prove it. Look at verse five. Look at verse five. Oh, Jehoshaphat, he knew. The Bible says in verse five, and Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire or, or ask, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Ah, there it is. There it is. So in other words, uh, Jehoshaphat, will you go? Yes. Um, do you think we ought to find out what God wants? No, a better answer would have been, Ahab, let's find out what God wants and then I'll give you an answer. Not I'll give you an answer, let's find out what God wants. No, I'll fi- let's find out what God wants and then I'll give you an answer. Don't let people pressure you to give an immediate answer. Every salesman knows how, th- how that works. Uh, if you buy today, if you buy today, hey, the sale ends today, you gotta buy today. They wanna pressure you. You know why? Because people make dumb decisions when they're forced to make decisions in the moment. Okay, so he should have said, let me pray about it. Let's find out what God says and then I'll give you an answer. But he didn't. So he said, yes, let's pray about it. Well, guess what? When you talk to carnal people about what God wants, they'll always find somebody that will tell them what God wants. Do you know that there are churches out there that will tell you whatever you wanna hear? Do you know that? And so if you're gonna go to an Ahab and say, Ahab, I wanna hear from the word of the Lord, he's gonna call in all the guys that already agree with him. Listen, if you, want to go, if you want to believe something, there's always gonna be a church that matches your belief. That's why we don't foundation our belief even on our church. We foundation our belief on the word of God because the churches change and colleges change and people change, but the word of God never changes. And so make sure that your faith is firmly affixed to the word of God. Well, because you're always going to find people, the Bible calls them people with, with tickling ears, uh, they're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that will tell you what you want to hear. Okay, now look at what happens in verse 6. Oh, you want to hear some people that give the word of God? Watch what Ahab says. Verse 6, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. These are the guys that survived the Mount Carmel thing. About 400 men. And he said unto them, well, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I forbear? Okay, guys, uh, Jehoshaphat over here, he really wants to know if we should go to battle or not. So guys, should I go or not? Now, wait a minute. They already know what Ahab wants. They already know what Ahab wants to hear. And that they're being paid by Ahab. They're on the government role, a dole. And so uh, they know exactly what they're supposed to say. And they don't have any uh, solidarity with God. They have no conscience about answering for God. No, all they want to do is tell Ahab what he wants to hear so they they can keep their job, get get their paycheck. And so should 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 I go or not? Said Ahab, watch what the prophets say in verse six. And they said, go up. Go ahead, go. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Hey, Ahab, we're behind you. Four 
400 men. It's 400 to zero. You talk about a multitude of counselors. Man, Ahab, he's got every single person who represents God on his side. They've all told him to go. I mean, that seems like a slam dunk. But wait a minute. Jehoshaphat, he's a good guy. Jehoshaphat, he loves the Lord. Jehoshaphat, he has a conscience. Jehoshaphat, he loves the word of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he made it his business during his reign to make sure there was a teaching priest and a teaching judge in every city and village in Judah. This man loved the word of God. And so when Jehoshaphat heard that, he knew, oh man, I am in the wrong place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, man, I should not be here. What am I doing here? And that's where he was. He's in the wrong place. And he's thinking, oh, man, these guys are liars. They're telling Ahab what he wants to hear. How did I get myself into this thing? Man, I want to get out of here. And so he says, is there not a prophet of the Lord besides? Isn't there anybody else? Ahab, I know I've heard from your 400 guys, but you know and I know that they're telling you what you want to hear. Ahab, isn't there one man that will tell us the truth? Now we're back to our text verse. Look at verse eight. And he said, you see that in verse eight? And the king of Israel said unto Joshua, there is yet one man. Yeah, there's one guy, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Watch this. Here it is. Here's our first point. Watch this. But I hate him. Ahab, you hate a man of God? You hate somebody who's given his life to communicating the word of God? You hate him? Why would you hate a preacher? I mean, is it because he's obnoxious? Is it because he's done you wrong? Is it because, why do you hate him? Well, the Bible tells us why. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. I hate him because he never tells me anything I want to hear. Listen, my, listen, my friends, if you want to take a stand for Jesus Christ, I mean, honestly, in your heart, I think many of you do. If you want your life to count for Jesus Christ, if you truly realize you've got one shot at this thing, no rewind button, no mulligans, no reset button. You gotta live your life for something. And if you really understand there's a heaven, there's a hell, Jesus is real, uh, life is short, heaven is forever. I've gotta make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. If, you, if, you, if that makes sense to you, if you really wanna live for Jesus Christ, I'm gonna tell you right now, there are gonna be some people in this world that will hate you. And if you're the kind of person that has to have everybody like him, if you're the kind of person that always has to be the center of attention, if you're the kind of person that always has to have people applauding you, then don't sign up for serving God. Because if you serve Jesus Christ, some people for no other reason alone but the fact that you stand for God will hate your stinking guts. Now, whom does the world love? I mean, honestly, whom does the world love? Ahab, he's a great picture of the world in 1 Kings 22. Who, who was on Ahab's team? I'll tell you, first of all, the servants were. When Ahab said, let's go attack Ramoth Gilead, a bunch of people said nothing. They, they just, whatever Ahab said, that's what they did. You know, most of this world, whatever the world says, that's what they do. That's where most people are. Whatever the new fashions are, whatever the new music is, whatever the new philosophy is, most people are fine with it. Whatever the world says, that's what we're gonna, like a bunch of sheep. Mm -hmm. 
They just do whatever the world tells them to do. I mean, they don't think about it. I mean, if it's on there, if it's the new movie, if it's popular, let's just watch it, let's do it, let's listen to it, let's wear it. I mean, if the world says it, we're in. Now, I'd hope that's not you, but that's where most people are. The world loves those whom they can command. But let me just say this, number two. The world also loves those who compromise. Now, don't miss this. The world also loves those who come. Listen, the world does not care if you love Jesus. That's fine. Hey, that's cool. Do your Jesus thing. This world does not care if you're a Baptist. Fine, be a Baptist. That's great. That's fine. No problem. The world doesn't care if you, if you read your Bible. Fine, if you get something out of it that works for you, do it. They don't care. Here's what they care about. They don't care that you believe what you believe. They do care if you try to tell them that they're wrong. They don't care if you believe what you believe. Go ahead and believe it. Go out there and have your camp. Go out there and have your fun. Go to Southland. Do the stuff you want to do. That's fine. Just don't tell me that I'm wrong. Hey, Ahab, Ahab loved Jehoshaphat as long as Jehoshaphat was on his team. Ahab, matter of fact, Ahab loved, hey, I want Jehoshaphat. I want you to fight with me. I want your army. I want to use you. Hey, I want you to be on the team. Just don't tell me that I'm wrong. Man, did I learn this lesson? Man, did I, as an unsaved uh, young boy, I learned this lesson. My, my dad and my mom were divorced when I was uh, almost four years old. My dad met another woman at work. My mother found out about it and confronted him. And my dad chose to run away with that woman, leaving my mother in her late 20s with two boys, my brother, my older brother, and me. And my mother raised us by herself for, for many years. Then when I was about 10 years old, my, my mother met an, another person and she got remarried and I now had a stepfather. We didn't have a lot of money. My stepdad also had been divorced and he had some children that he had to pay for with, with child support. My dad actually left the country and he wouldn't pay any child support to us. And so my mother and my stepfather both worked full time and we lived in a little two bedroom house. It was fine, no, no problem. I'm just saying we didn't have much. Therefore, I really never owned anything that was new. My, my older brother was, is, is one year older than I. So, you know, I would just, you know, when he grew out of his clothes, I'd wear his clothes. I always had hand-me-downs. Not, not a big deal. I just never had anything new. That's why I was shocked. On, I think it was my 12th birthday. It might have been my 13th, but I think it was my 12th. So it had been 1978. I was born in 1966. So 1978, on my 12th birthday, my, my mom and my stepdad, they took me to a, a, a bicycle shop in Newington, Connecticut. I went to Newington, Connecticut, right downtown to the bicycle store. I couldn't believe it. We walked down the aisles of that bike shop and my mom and my stepdad said, it's your 12th birthday, we wanna buy you a brand new bicycle. I had never owned anything new in my life. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I looked at all these bicycles. I looked at the, the 10 speeds. That was a big thing back in those days. And then I looked at all the, like the BMX kind of bikes. You ride out on the trails in the woods and all my friends had these BMX bikes, and I so desperately wanted one of these BMX bikes. So I said, may I have that bike? I'm pretty sure I didn't say may I, but I'm saying that now. And, uh, and I said, I want that bike. And my, I couldn't believe it. I, my mom and my stepdad said, okay. I still remember how much it cost, $135. Now I know that doesn't sound like a lot today, but that was a, that was a lot of money in 1978, $135. And so we bought that bike. Man, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was metallic blue. 
I mean, it, it just, this thing was, I mean, it shined. It was unreal. So I, I asked my mom, my stepdad, I said, can I just ride my bike home? Yeah, and they said, sure. Back in those days, you didn't need helmets and all, all that. And so I just jumped on my bike and I rode right down Main Street of Newington, Connecticut. And I just knew that everybody was looking at me. I mean, here's this kid. You know, back in those days, I, I had, uh, was it Jake? Jake, I had hair just like yours, but it was a lot longer. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was like down to my shoulders. I was beautiful. And uh, so I rode my bike, and my hair was blowing in the breeze. And, and, and I just knew that little old ladies were opening their windows and looking down. Who's that beautiful boy riding that bike or girl, whatever I was. But uh, I'm going down the road. I got home and I could not wait to show my new bike to my best friend, Dean Brown. Dean Brown, my best friend. He lived one street over on Fisk Drive. And so I, I took my bike. I left my, my house. I lived on Dowd Street, D-O-W-D. And uh, I, I went up the hill, Dowd Street. I made a right on this little side street. I think it was called Neal Drive. I made a left on Fisk Drive, that's his road. I went all the way to the end of Fisk Drive, not far, to the last house on the right, it was the Brown House, and Dean Brown lived in the Brown House. True story. So I walked up the stairs to his house, and I knocked on the door. Now, that, that's not the door, that's a pulpit, but I'm pretending that's a door, okay? So I knocked on the door like that. Dean came out. I said, come on, Dean, let me show you something. So he, he walked down the steps, he walked to the end, and there right that, in his driveway, I parked my bike. And I just knew that my best friend was gonna love my bike. I'll never forget how Dean responded, because he didn't. Here's what Dean did. I'm like, Dean, how do you like my bike? He said, it's all right. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, it's my new bike, I mean, come on. He said, well, you know, it's all right. He said, everybody knows that cool kids have black bikes. Well, I'll be honest with you, I had never read that in like in the cool manual, you know, but I didn't want him to know that I had not read that in the cool manual. So on the spot, I just lied. And here's what I said. I said, oh, I, I know. I said, I, I know that. I mean, everyone knows that. I just haven't had time to paint it yet. So I got back on my bike I went down Fist Drive, made a right on Neal, made a left on Down Street, went back to my bedroom. I got what little money I had from my bedroom and I went back up Main Street to the bicycle store. Right next to the bicycle store is a store called Central Hardware Store. I went into Central Hardware Store and I bought two items. I bought sandpaper and black spray paint. I got back on my bike, I rode down Main Street, I went to my house, Down Street, I took that sandpaper and I began to sand my brand new bike. I took the cane. Listen to me, it looked awful. But you know what? Hey, I'm cool now. I couldn't wait for that paint to set because I went back up Dowd Street, made a right on Neal. I made a left on Fish Drive. I went to the end, to the Brown House. Dean Brown, my best friend, lived at the Brown House. I walked up the stairs to Dean's house. I knocked on the door again. Dean came to the door. This time he walked down the steps. This time I got a reaction. This time Dean reacted to my new bike. Here's what he did, ready? He said, <gasps> <gasps> What, what, 
I said, well, you know, I painted it, you know? Cool kids have black bikes, and my bike is black now. He said, you stupid idiot. Don't you know I was jealous? You had the nicest bike in the whole town. I just made that up. And you painted your bike black? What were you thinking? I'm going to tell you something. I got on that bike. I went down Fish Drive. I made a right on Neal. I made a left on Down Street. I parked my bike in my garage, and I went back into my bedroom. And I cried. Listen to me. I cried my heart out. But I never, ever, ever forgot the lesson. And the lesson is this. Boy, if you got something shiny, you got something new, you got something sparkly, you got something that makes everybody else look bad, I'm gonna tell you something, they're gonna try to tear you down to their level. They're gonna try to break down. And I'm just trying to say, if you have a shiny blue testimony, if you live for Jesus Christ, you don't go there. You don't do that. Uh, you're not being a Pharisee, but you wanna live for Jesus Christ and have a shining, sparkling testimony for him. Just know this, people hate it because it makes them look bad. It's a conviction to them. They wanna tear you down and throw stones like they did at Stephen. But stand up, stand up for Jesus Christ. Why? Because compromise, I'm telling you, the world loves those who compromise, but they hate those who don't. Who does the world hate? Uh, the world hates the, the, who does the world love? They love those they can command. They love those who compromise, but they hate those with convictions. They hate people that stand for what's right, no matter what. Hey, you want to take a stand for Jesus Christ? You want to be the one? Some people are going to hate you. Mark it down. Number two. Number two. Look at verse nine. Oh, you want Micaiah, do you? Is that who you want, Jehoshaphat? The one that never tells me what I want to hear? Okay, okay. Look at verse nine. Then the king of Israel, that's uh, Ahab, he called an officer and he said, hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imla. Okay, go get him. So watch this, guys. So the messenger, he goes. Here's, here's Jehoshaphat. Here's Ahab. Here are all the prophets of, uh, of, of uh, all the false prophets. And now here goes the officer. He's going to go get Micaiah. So he leaves to go get Micaiah. All right? As he's gone, watch what happens. Look at verse 10. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place, in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Hey, guys, picture this. What a, what a picture. So here is Jehoshaphat, and he's sitting on his throne. We'll do the best we can. And then here's Ahab. Wow. Ahab had some intestinal problems. But uh, anyway, so did I just say that? Uh, so here's, here's Jehoshaphat. Here's Ahab. And the Bible says they sat each on their thrones. And the Bible says in verse 10, and they put on their robes. So they have, their, they have all their kingly regalia on, okay? So here's, here's Jehoshaphat. Man, he's got his crown on. He's got his purple robes on. He's sitting in his big throne. The Bible says they're in a void place. That means a big, wide, open place. And all the prophets are, are in front of them. So here's Jehoshaphat. And then over here, here's Ahab. And Ahab is sitting on his throne. And he's got his robes on and his crown on. And he's got all the prophets. And Ahab is loving it. 
I mean, Ahab is just having the time of his life. Why? Because he's got 400 guys all preaching at the same time, all telling him what he wants to hear. Ahab is like, amen. Ahab is, praise the Lord. This is an awesome service, isn't it, Jehoshaphat? And Jehoshaphat, he's over here thinking, what am I doing here? How did I get myself into this mess? <laughs> I can't wait till this guy shows up, okay? So this, is, this is a really weird situation. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. And Zedekiah, who's that? Well, he's the son of Cana Anna. Duh, okay? So Zedekiah, the son of Cana Anna, watch this, he made him horns of iron. So there's 400 of you, okay? You're the false prophets. So you're all preaching at one time. Well, listen, this one guy, Zedekiah, he didn't like just being one of the crowd. No, Zedekiah, he wanted to really stick out in the minds of the kings. So he, made, he makes this PowerPoint illustration, right? The horns of iron. So he's gonna really show uh, Ahab how much he uh, knows God. And watch what he does with those horns in verse 11. So Zedekiah, the son of Anna, he made him horns of iron. And he said, thus saith the Lord, with these thou shalt push the Syrians until thou hast consumed them. Boy, this must have been impressive. Look at verse 13 and, uh, and verse 12. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper. The Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. So they're all, can you imagine, guys? It's like a reverse service. Okay, right now you got one guy preaching to several hundred people, okay? Well, listen, back then it was several hundred people preaching to two guys. Two people in the audience, 400 people uh, preaching the message, and one of them's this crazy guy, Zedekiah. So here's uh, Ahab, he's listening, all the, all the base prophets are saying, Ramoth, Ramoth, all the tenor prophets are saying, Gilead, Gilead, Ramoth, Gilead, give me an R, give me a G, Ramoth, and here's old Zedekiah, and here's Ahab going, <laughs> and here's Joshua going, <laughs> that's what's going on. In the meantime, the messenger has gone to get Micaiah. Now watch that conversation. I love how the Bible shows you everything that's going on. That's what's great about the Bible. You get all angles. And watch what happens in verse 13. Oh, this is so good. And the Bible says, and the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him saying, behold now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good. Stop, look at me. Okay, I think the messenger was a good guy. I think the messenger, he knows how Ahab is. He knows that Ahab is crazy. He knows, that A, he knows that Ahab is full of himself. He knows that Ahab always gets his way. He knows this is a big setup. And so the messenger is really just trying to help Micaiah. So here's what he says. He said, Micaiah, listen, let me, let me help you, okay? I just, got, I just got here from you know, the, the preaching service and every single person has told Ahab to go. Okay, so I'm just saying, you know, Micaiah, just, just go and tell him what he wants to hear. You're not gonna make a difference. Micaiah, listen, you're not gonna make a difference, okay? So don't make it any harder on yourself. Just, just go there, go with the flow. You know, I know that you believe what you believe. That's fine, but, 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 but Micaiah, just go tell him what he wants to hear and everything's gonna be just fine. See, if you decide to take a stand for God, let me tell you something. Some people are gonna hate you. But watch this, number two. 
Some people are going to hate you, but watch this, number two. Some people are going to try to talk you out of it. Some people are going to try to talk you out of it. Well-meaning people, not evil people. There are some well-meaning people that will try to tell you, listen, you're not going to make a difference. You know, what do you think you're doing? They will use two arguments. They will use the argument of, of logic. You're not going to make a difference. Who do you think you are? There's seven billion people in the world. You think you standing for Jesus Christ is going to make a difference? You think the whole world's going to come to Christ because you decide to make a, a decision at camp? I mean, you think your whole town is going to be affected and, and the revival's going to come because you decided as an eighth grader that you're going to walk with God? Come on, come on. Do you know that when I went off to Bible college many years ago, 1984, do you know that there were two teachers in my Christian school who took me aside into a side room and they said, Kurt, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to Bible college. What for? Well, I, I feel like God's called me to preach. Now listen, I had just been saved. I had been playing the game. I had just been saved. They said, well, Kurt, you had your heart set on all these years becoming a lawyer. You know, you, you've been in the, the, the debate club. You've been in the drama club. You've been in... Yeah, you had your heart sound. You've already applied to the schools. You're already, already you know, don't, don't get sidetracked. Kurt, we, we, we admire your new love for the Lord, but, but Kurt, you can serve God doing that too. I mean, Kurt, come on. You know what's funny? I was sitting in a room with two of the teachers I respected more than anyone else in life, and they were trying to talk me out of what God told me to do. My stepfather has had his doctorate in education in the public school system for 60 years. 60 years. He's in his 80s. He's one of the smartest men I've ever met. He was given an award as the educator of the year in the state of Connecticut by Ronald Reagan. Very, very smart. He took me aside. He said, Kurt, I heard you're going to a little Bible college. I said, yeah, I've told, we talked about this. See, I think, he said, I think you're throwing your life away. I think you're throwing your life away. And you know what? My, my stepdad loves me. And today, he's told me a thousand times, hey, I'm so glad you did what you did. But you know what he said to me really unwittingly is what Jesus said. My stepdad said, you're throwing your life away. You know what Jesus said? He that loses his life shall find it. Yeah, in essence, when you, do, when you do sell out for Jesus Christ, you are kind of throwing your life away. You're throwing your life away. So he can give you the life that he wants you to live. He can give you his life. I'm just telling you, if you decide to stand for God, some people try to talk about it, it's just not logical. But watch this. If you try to take a stand for God, some people try to talk about it because they'll tell you, why be lonely? Why spend your whole life being different? I mean, there are 400 guys that have already told Ahab what he wants to hear. Hey, Micaiah, just go with the flow. You can believe what you want to believe in your heart, but you don't have to tell people about it. You don't have to, I mean, you're not going to make a difference anyway. You can be all by yourself. I remember going to Connecticut years ago, my home state. I didn't know what I was doing. I was fresh out of Bible college. I probably should have gotten more counsel, but I decided I want to win Connecticut to Christ. So I, I, I started a church. I didn't know you were supposed to raise support. I didn't know you were supposed to get pastors involved. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know. I was just young and dumb. So you know what I did? I went down to the hardware store and I bought a piece of plywood, four by eight. I'm 24 years old. I, I, I took the plywood and I put hinges on it and I created a sandwich board sign 
I thought of a name for a church, Foundation Baptist Church. And so I, I painted the sign myself. I'm not an artist. Did the best I could. Foundation Baptist. And then I ran out of room because I didn't plan it well. So I applied Scrunch Church. Church. Like that. I didn't have enough money to buy another piece of plywood. Now I went down to the YWCA and I talked to the woman. I said, hey, what does it cost to rent a room? She said it cost $350 for four hours on a Sunday. Just, I just, just for four hours on a Sunday cost $350. Uh, for the month, rather. But you get it every Sunday for four hours. I said, okay, I want it. So I took $350 of my own money, cash, put it on the table. So I want to rent it for one month. See how it goes. I called my friend who lived in New York. His name is Tom. I said, Tom, I'm going to start church. He said, when? I said, this week. He said, oh. I said, can you come down and help me? He said, yeah, sure. So I drove down from New York. I printed 3,000 flyers. And we handed out 3,000 flyers. We had our first service, had 35 people come. We had five people walk the aisle and get saved that morning. It was unbelievable. But here's what happened. After about two months, I ran out of money. I used all my savings. Had no money. Now I had to get a full-time job 70 hours a week just to pay for my wife and child to survive. Now I can't go up there. I, can't. I lived an hour away. I, I can't get up there in the evenings. I, can't. I couldn't even get there on Saturday. I worked Saturdays. I could only go up on Sundays. The church began to dwindle. We stayed steady on Sunday mornings with you know, 30, 40 people. But I'll tell you what, Sunday nights, we'd, we'd have just a family come back, two families. I remember one Sunday night, I was so discouraged. I was working all these hours. I was living an hour away. I just felt so beat up. I felt so worthless. I was tired. I was getting like four hours sleep a night. I had a sermon outline in my Bible and I'm standing in that room looking out the window. It's six o'clock. Church starts at six o'clock. I'm looking out the window. No one's there. I mean, there were times when I'd have just a family and that was fine. And can I just tell you this? I would preach to that family the way I'm preaching to you. It didn't make a difference. Someone's here. The word of God. Let's preach. I, I remember there were times, Brother Mike, you're not gonna believe this, but this is true. You ask my wife about it. There were times we had one guy show up. One guy. You know what I'd do? I would preach to him. One guy. Now, if I had to do it over again today, I'd probably have a Bible study and sit next to him and go. But I would have a service with one guy. So there he is. Okay, Jake, you're my one guy. Sit right here. All right, there he is, Jake, old Jake. Now, come up here. So I'm gonna, come on, Jake, come on up here. I like you. I like your hair. Come on. There he is, Jake. You come on. What? Bring your chair. I'm going to let you sit in Ahab's chair. Good night, Jake. Bring it up here. Sit right here. You're my one guy. There you are. Sit down there. Old Jake. Now, the guy that would show up by himself, his name was Don, okay? So right now, your name is Don, Jake. So here's the way I do service, ready? We're having service right now. This, as a matter of fact, this is what my pulpit looked like, almost exactly like this. And I would, I would, I said, okay, let's stand together. Come on. Okay, I'm not kidding you. All right, let's sing Victory in Jesus, ready? I heard an old, I'd wave my arms because that's what they told me I'm supposed to do. And he'd sing. I don't know who was dumber, me or him. Oh, come on, sing, I can't hear you, old story. And we'd sing the song. Listen, we'd, we'd pr I'd pray, you may be seated, you may be seated. We'd, we'd have an offering. <laughs> I'd pass the plate. Listen, after the service was over, he and I would count the offering. Sign it. I'm not kidding you. You think I'm making this up. I would preach my whole message from the pulpit. Turn in your Bibles. I did scripture reading. So we'd stand up, read the scripture together. He'd sit down. I'd preach. 
when the preaching was over, I know you're not gonna believe this, but I would do this. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I should have said head bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Ready, I would do this. Now, if God spoke to you in the message, raise your hand. If God spoke to you in the message, raise your hand. I would say this, ready? I see that hand. <laughs> Thank you, Jake, you may be seated. Let's, let's give a hammer, Jake. So I'm standing at the window, hoping one guy will show up. And nobody shows up. It's 6, it's 6.05, it's 6.10, 6.15, nobody shows up. My wife, who is watching our son back in the nursery, because <laughs> we had a nursery, slipped into the room. I don't remember her slipping in. I'm looking out the window and listen, I am, tears are streaming down my face. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why do I do this? And my wife came up behind me. She put her hand on my shoulder. And I know it was my wife's hand. I'm not trying to be mystical, but it was the Lord. It was the Lord saying, I'm here. It was the Lord saying, I have not left thee. I will never forsake thee. It was God saying, I'm the, at my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God, it may not be laid to the charge. Notwithstanding, Paul said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Hey, at your darkest time, you find out who God is. I'm gonna tell you something. There are people that will say, it's not worth it. There was a moment in my life where I was saying, what in the world am I doing? Hey, you wanna take a stand for Jesus Christ? Some people will, will hate you. They just will. If you have to be liked by everybody, don't sign up tonight. Some people are gonna try to talk you out of it. Well-meaning people, people that have your best interest, or at least they think in their heart. Hey, it's not worth it. It's not logical. You're gonna be all by yourself. Now, if you're called to preach, and some of you are, and don't have a life's verse, I'm gonna recommend a life's verse for you. And that life's verse is found in the very next verse. Look at it, verse 14. This is such a great verse. Please don't miss it. 1 Kings chapter 22, and look please at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse, yes, verse 14. And Micaiah said, don't miss it, verse 14. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Hey, our job as preachers is not to be popular. Our job as preachers is not to tell people what they want to hear or figure out how people are going to like our message. Our job is to tell people what God tells us. And so Micaiah said, listen, I can't answer your question, Mr. Messenger. I appreciate your heart, but I'm going to go in there and tell Ahab exactly what God tells me to tell him. All right, so here we go. Verse 15. Messenger's coming back. Micaiah's coming back. Here they come. They come into the big void place. There are the preachers. They're all saying, Ramoth, Ramoth, Gilead, Gilead. Here's Zedekiah. Here's Ahab. Yeah. Here's Joshua going. Okay, so here he comes. Here comes the messenger. Here comes Micaiah. Now Micaiah is standing right in front of the kings. And Ahab asks him the question. Look at verse 15. 
So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? Okay, Micaiah, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked the other 400 who have all told me that I should go. Okay, Micaiah, should I go or not? Now, Ahab is full aware that Micaiah never tells him what he wants to hear. So he's full aware that right now, uh, Micaiah's going to be the one no vote. So he must have been shocked when Micaiah said what he said. Look at verse 16. And the king said unto him, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 15. And he answered him, go. What? Well, wait a minute. What, what's all this talk about being the one? What's all this talk about taking a stand? What's all this talk about being hated, being talked out of it? When Ahab said, Micaiah, should I go? And Micaiah says the exact same thing as the 400. He says, go and prosper. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Wait a minute. Is, is Micaiah having a second thought? Is Micaiah now obeying the messenger? Has Micaiah gotten scared because there's 400 guys that are all shouting and one crazy guy that's got the horns? I mean, what's going on? Oh, wait a minute. Micaiah did not, Micaiah wasn't being serious. Micaiah was being sarcastic. You say, Pastor Skelly, how do you know that? I know that because of the way that Ahab responded. That's why you have to read your Bible carefully. No, Micaiah was, was playing with Ahab. He was being sorry. Here's the way he said it. Should I go or not? Micaiah said, oh yeah. Oh yeah, you should go. Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. Yeah, you go with your little army and you go over there and you fight the big bad series and you're gonna win. Oh, you're gonna win big time. You just go and God bless you. Now he said it sarcastically. You know why? Because Ahab, he got ticked off. Look, look what happens in verse 16. And the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Stop it. Tell me the truth. Well, wait a minute, Ahab. I thought that was the truth. That, that's what you said the truth was. So now when he says it, all of a sudden you know it's not the truth. No, Ahab knew the whole time he was just pushing his own agenda. You know what's funny about the world? The world, the world expects the world to be deceitful but the world expects you to be honest. The world has a double standard and the world expects you to live your faith. And so when, when Micaiah was playing around with him, Ahab's like, stop it, tell me the truth. Oh, oh Ahab, do you all of a sudden want the truth? Okay, because if you all of a sudden want the truth, here comes the truth right at you. Look at verse 17, oh my. You want the truth? Here it is. Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. Now, please understand, back in Bible days, every king understood the illustration. In the Old Testament, the shepherd was the civil leader. So Ahab knew that when, a when Micaiah was speaking about sheep and shepherd, the sheep are the people and the shepherd is the king. So when Micaiah says, uh, I saw sheep and shepherd, uh, uh, Ahab knows exactly what he's talking about. Look at verse 17 again. And the Lord said, these have no master. These sheep no longer have a shepherd. Let them, the sheep, return every man to his house in peace. Okay, Ahab, here's the truth. The truth is, if you want to go do what you want to go do, you're a dead man. Now the army will lose the battle, but at least they'll make it home safe. Okay, that's the truth. Now, wait a minute. 
if I'm Ahab sitting on my throne and somebody tells me that what I'm planning to do is a suicide mission and I'm gonna die, then I'm gonna thank that man. I'm gonna say, whoo, whoo, thank you. Because if I did what I wanted to do, I would have gone and died. See, a lot of times the people in your life that you don't wanna hear, the people in your life that you don't want to hear are the people that are telling you the truth and the truth is what's gonna help you. Hey, this was a man that was saving Ahab's life if Ahab listened. Understand, those of you that are having an attitude about your mom or attitude about your youth pastor, attitude about your dad, listen, they're trying to save your life. But Ahab, he's not listening. Watch what Ahab does in verse 18. We're almost done. You've listened very carefully. Look at verse 18. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee? He's not even answering Micaiah. No, Ahab, he, Micaiah's preaching. Ahab looks over at Jehoshaphat. Watch what he says. Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? I told you, see that? That's why I didn't want him to come because he's never nice to me. He's always negative. I, mm. <laughs> he's just pouting. He's just pouting because he doesn't hear what he wants to hear. Like many carnal Christians, they sit there and pout because they don't hear. They don't, the Bible doesn't fit with the life they want to live. Okay, now let's finish the story. Look at verse, I'm going to sit in this chair because that chair gives me the heebie-jeebies, all right? Over here. <laughs> Look at verse 19. And he said, oh, wait a minute, preacher, guess what he's doing? He's still preaching. So Ahab, he's commenting over here to Jehoshaphat, but guess what? The preacher, once you wind him up, it's hard to shut him up. Maybe you've noticed that, okay? Look at verse 19. And he said, this is the, the end of Micaiah's message. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. See, you guys are sitting on your throne, but there's a higher throne. And all the host of heaven standing by him on the right hand and on the left. You've got a big crowd, but he's got a bigger crowd. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said on this manner, another on that manner. And there came forth a spirit that stood before him and said, I'll persuade him. The Lord said, wherewith or how? He said, I'll go forth, I'll be a lying spirit. And in the mouth of his prophets. And, and he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also go forth and do so. And now therefore, look at verse 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. Okay, here's the rest of the message. The rest of the message was, okay, Micah, uh, okay, Ahab, listen, this is all of God. And God told me that all these guys behind me, because here's Micaiah speaking to Ahab, all these guys back here, they're all a bunch of filthy liars. And you, Ahab, if you do what you want to do, you're a dead man. They're liars, you're a dead man. That's my message. Now listen, that's not the message that gets people to say, uh, Micaiah, would you sign my Bible, please? <laughs> and by the way, the prophets don't come, in and come up to Micaiah and say, oh, Micaiah, you got us. <laughs> yeah, we, we were lying. We repent. You're right. Now remember Horn Man? <laughs> Watch what Horn Man does in verse 24. Zedekiah, the son of Cana, Anna, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek. Now, in the middle of God and everybody, this guy with the horns, he comes up to Micaiah and he watched this, whack! Basically, he says, who died and left you, boss? 
oh, you know, big bad Micaiah, you come in here and preach your little doom and gloom message. Well, guess what, buddy? There's 400 of us that are on this side, one on your side. We're still winning. Who do you think you are? Last verse I'll read. Look at verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 25. And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. Okay, what's Micaiah saying? Micaiah saying, okay, buddy. Okay, you're big and tough in front of all your friends. Oh, you can be a big, bad prophet with all your big horns and slap me in front of everybody. But let me tell you when you're gonna know the truth, Zechariah, when he does what you told him to do. And when he goes and gets killed and you run home all by yourself, all scared, you don't have your buddies with you, and you run to your house and you get into your innermost chamber, your little closet, and you get down and your knees are shaking because the big bad Syrians are coming to attack you, then you're gonna know I was right and you were you're wrong. Can I just say this? There's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's coming a day when every single person who has ever <gasps> breathed a breath in their, in their lungs will know that the right choice was Jesus. Now, are you willing to live for the right choice now when people don't know that. You know why? Because if you want to take a stand for God, some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to try to talk you out of it. And crazy people, listen to me, this guy was nuts. Crazy people will call you crazy. This world is so upside down. This world's crazy. They're nuts. And yet they look at a Bible-believing Christian who's clothed and in his right mind, who loves God, loves people, and serves. They, they say, you're crazy. This world is upside down. There was a study done about, oh my, it's been years now. Listen to me. The study was conducted on the topic of peer pressure. Why people do some things that they do because of peer pressure. In the study, they brought eight people into a room. They sat them around a, a round table. Only one person was the study, was the object of the study. Eight people, the seven others, knew exactly what was happening. A round table. The moderator came into the room and he took a, a colored slide, like you'd put at a paint store or, or a, uh, a carpet store. And he took that colored slide. The slide color was orange, like, uh, like construction worker orange. I took that orange slide and he put it right down in the middle of that round table. Now remember, this, the study is only being conducted on one man. The one man was sitting here. And the slide was put down and the moderator said to the person next to him, what color is that slide? See, the guy thought that the study was on color analysis. That's what he thought the study was on. Oh, okay. This guy said, well, it's red. This guy's thinking, <laughs> awkward. This guy's colorblind, but he didn't say anything. So while he's thinking that, the moderator says to this guy, what color is that slide? The guy said, it's red. Now he's thinking, man, what are the chances? Two colorblind people in a row. While he's thinking that, the guy says, what color is that slide? The guy said, it's red. Now this guy's thinking, man, 
I mean, is it tinted? Is it two-toned? Is it the sun coming in? Is it an angle thing? What color is that slide? Red, 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 red. Sir, what color is that slide? So I, I preached this message years ago. Not exactly the same message, but similar. I was in Washington, D.C., and there were about this many teenagers there. In the middle of my message, I, I, I said maybe five times in a row, who's gonna be the one? Who's gonna be the one? Very passionately, who's gonna be the one? I mean, who's gonna be the one? Who's gonna be the one? As I'm preaching the message, this boy whom I had met earlier in the day, a kid that had just been saved like two months before, hadn't grown up in church, new Christian, had only been saved for a couple months. As I'm asking those questions in the middle of my message, listen to me, this boy right over here, he stood up. In the middle of my message, he stood up. I just kind of looked at him like, what's going on? And he, he was sobbing and he was looking at me. Now listen, everybody's as quiet as you are right now and they're all looking at him and they're looking at me like, what's going on? It seemed like forever, it probably was only maybe 10, 15 seconds. But he's just looking at me. It's dead silent. All you can hear is him crying. Finally, here's what he said. I'll never forget it. I can picture it right now. He said, I will. I will. And then a girl down here, she stood up. She said, I will. And two or three together stood up in the back. They said, we will. An entire youth group stood up, said, we will. Within moments, every single person in that room was standing up, saying, we will be the one. You say, Pastor Skelly, which ones were sincere? I don't know. Oh, oh, I do know one. I do know one. Because he's the one that stood when no one else did. Sir, what color is that slide? You know what that man said? He said, it's red. In his heart of hearts, he knew exactly what it was, but nobody else admitted it, so neither did he. That's where you guys are. I believe in my heart tonight, every one of you knows the only life that matters is standing for Christ. Loving him unconditionally, passionately. We're gonna stand before him. We got one shot called life. Live for Jesus. I think you know in your heart that's right, but no one else is doing it. We live in a luke, lackluster, lukewarm, mediocre world, and you're saying, well, I'm just gonna call it red because that's what everyone else does. What I'm saying tonight is why don't you decide to be the one? Some are gonna hate you. Some are gonna try to talk you out of it. Hey, some people just call you crazy. But one day, You'll be so glad you were the one. Lord, bless us tonight. Help us tonight. Lord, how desperately we need for real Christianity to invade the facade that we've built, the charade that